you know, as a nine-year-old, in a completely different cultural context, the only thing you want to do is fit in, right? You want to have friends and you want to fit in. And that was just not the case. This is the Relentless Pursuit podcast, where we hear stories from cross-cultural workers on what it's really like to be a missionary, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So usually on the podcast, we talk to missionaries, but this time we're going to talk to some people who go along for the ride. Um, That would be a TCK or an MK, missionary kid or a third culture kid. And today we'll be talking to Taylor, who lived many years in Japan before she graduated high school and came back to the U.S. for college. Yeah, and she was actually on my team. So I had the privilege of knowing Taylor's entire family and seeing Taylor as an 11-year-old and a 15-year-old. And now we get to see her as an adult who is not only just living in the world, but she's also written a book recently. And so to, to, to start off today's episode, we've actually asked her to share a story, one of the pivotal moments um, in her journey in life, in healing from anxiety that she talks about in her book. So I was 18 at the time, and I was on a gap year program in Germany. And it was a, it was a Bible college that I was attending for a semester. I was with my twin, and I had kind of gone into the semester recognizing kind of in myself some struggles with anxiety and an eating disorder. And for, for me, like going into this this time in Germany, it was like, you know, the struggles that you have and you're like, well, maybe if I get into a different environment, then it will like go away. <laughs> well, that was kind of my mindset, my mindset going into this time in Germany. But, um, you know, the longer I was going through this gap year program, the worse that my struggles with anxiety and an eating disorder got. And I remember the day that the director's wife came up to me and just kind of gently confronted me about what was going on and what she saw, you know, in the way that I was acting and even physically how I was showing up in in different spaces. And um, that day we ended up going to the hospital in Germany. And I remember coming back and she asked me if I would tell my parents for liability reasons. And I wanted to tell them too. They didn't know anything about what was going on. I wanted to tell them, but there was so much shame that I was experiencing alongside these struggles. And I remember the night so clearly when I was sitting outside my dorm room on the floor, like crisscross applesauce with my laptop. And even the time differences, my parents were in Japan or Thailand at the time. Like uh, I was in Germany, there was like an eight, nine hour time difference. And I was, I wasn't scared of their response. I was just feeling a lot of shame for what the struggles that I was experiencing. So I remember I opened up my laptop and my heart just started forming words. And I just started telling them what was going on. I emailed my mom and just really openly, I I shared that I'd been to the hospital and, you know, my anxiety was really bad and the eating disorder had gotten really bad. And I didn't know what to put put in the subject line. So I typed in prayer request Mm. and sent it. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. And the next morning I woke up and I checked my email as soon as I woke up and my mom had responded. And the way that she responded, it felt like she had just come through the screen and had Mm. taken up space next to me. And the way that she, that she responded to me, it felt like she was on this journey with me and I wasn't alone. And 
that was the beginning of a long journey of surrendering to my own brokenness mm-hmm. and finding Jesus there. But yeah, that was the start. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, you know, obviously we've known each other for a little while, Taylor, and I know your parents as well. Um, but I mean, it sounds like your parents have been just such a pivotal part of yeah. that journey with you, yeah. not just, you know, raising you, but even as an adult, you know, help walking yeah. you through just healing and even understanding yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Would you say that that's accurate? Yes, yes, mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit, like, how have they been kind of a part of that journey, especially yeah. when they are on the other side of the world? Right, right. Yeah. I think, you know, just going back to, I remember like the, when we first moved overseas, I was nine when we first moved to Japan. And I remember moving overseas, you know, there's so many emotions that you're experiencing. There's excitement, there's grief there's loss, there's fear, there's loneliness, there's all of these different, there's like, I'm moving to a different country. This is so cool. Like there's just so (laughs) many different emotions. And I think one of the things that my parents have done that I've appreciated so much is met me where I am and whatever emotion I'm experiencing and helped me process it out. Like, you know, my, my first book came out of processing all of my emotions with God. And it was something that my mom had just, we went on a walk on the beach one day and it was during a home assignment. And she sensed that I was just stuffing a lot of emotions. And she said, I want you to start listing out all the emotions that you felt overseas and a time you experienced that emotion and just start writing letters to God about them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in so many different ways, they've they've met me and, and they've been so open and real with me in their own journey with God. And I think both of those things have been so formative in my walk with him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. I think a lot of people that are considering going into missions, if they have children, that is one of the main factors that influences their decision is what about my kids? Yeah, How is this going to impact their development as human beings, as children? How is it going to impact their relationship to God and how they perceive of him. Um, but it sounds like your parents did a lot of thought in that area Mm. and that they didn't, they didn't go into this blindly. Um, and they were really intentional about how they, they cared for you. Um, Mm -hmm. are there other ways that they, you feel like they proactively, um, cared for you as someone, a child living overseas, in a foreign environment, this is not a decision you made. It was made yeah. for you. Um, they were the ones called into missions and it impacted you. So what are some other ways that they cared for you in this way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think even, you know, thinking about that, like this wasn't a decision that I chose. Mm-hmm. It was a decision that our family, like I ultimately, ultimately my parents made, but our family made that move overseas. And I think in so many different ways, like if, for example, like, you know, after that time in Germany, you know, part of my story is like two weeks later, I was in treatment at a residential treatment facility in Indiana, like, and my dad flew back with me and he was the one that helped me walk through the door. And mm-hmm. I think in in so many different ways like that, I think they helped 
and there, there's so much processing that I had to do even like through college, but over and over again, communicating in different ways that even though I was a missionary, I was part of a missionary family, I was not a little missionary. I was a missionary kid. Mm-hmm. And it was okay to be nine when I was nine <laughs> and be sad about my, like, my desk that I had to leave behind because I was really, I loved my desk, my writing desk. <laughs> and like, and it was okay to feel that way. And it was, and I think it over and over again, like, yeah, our family has been called overseas. And yeah, there's certain things that because of that, we're going to do as a family together. But I was given permission over and over and over again to be a kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that what you said about how your parents really kind of met you where you were, like it was okay to Mm -hmm. have all the emotions that you did have. It was okay for you to be a normal, you know, 10 year old girl who's just kind of trying to figure out the world and all of that. Yeah. Um, And that even amidst that, you know, but still you guys are like figuring out Japan together and language and how to hang up your laundry and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, yeah, (laughs) all those things, all the things. Yeah, all the things that you're figuring out about Japan. I remember, yeah, anyways, I won't go off on my own tangents <laughs> when we're interviewing you. But uh, tell me a little bit um, about what the experience of being in Japan was like for you, a little bit yeah. more specifically. Do you have any some stories uh, that were particularly like kind of stick out in your mind? Like this is what, mm. you know, adjusting to life in Japan was like for me. Yeah. Yeah. Looking back on my time in Japan... It was, I have so many beautiful memories while I was there Mm -hmm. and the people that we spent time with, our teammates, yes, it was amazing. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And, and with all the beautiful memories, it was really, really, really hard. Absolutely. And, you know, as a nine-year-old, in a completely different cultural context, the only thing you want to do is fit in, right? You want to have friends and you want to fit in. And that was just not the case, like when we were in at all. And, you know, I remember as a little girl going onto the playground in our neighborhood for the first time, and it was me, blonde hair, blue eyes, jeans, pink shirt, and like 30 Japanese kids with their matching Asian, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like, school School uniforms, uniforms, right? And it was, like, it it was that moment of, like, I don't know if I'm getting, like, I don't fit in here. And then over and over again, I think, in different environments, like, from, you know, from church, like, I don't know what game, like, in Sunday school, like, I don't know what game we're playing right now. I don't know what this person is saying to me. Like, I don't know what this, like, yeah, so many just like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And and it was really, really hard. And I think, yeah, looking back on Japan, it was something that I've had to process a lot graduating high school and then coming back to the States, like processing that sense of unbelonging that I felt a lot. Um, but, re- but recognizing that both the positive and the negatives really forms me and how I see God. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, 
it's hard because I know you're you're 25 years old, and sometimes right. I feel like I'm talking to someone that's older than that when I talk to you. <laughs> um, so you're a little unusual and unique, and um, and I think it's amazing. But when you you this is this is probably part of you in some ways, I think, because you wrote a book. How old were you yeah. when you wrote your first book? I was 13. 13. <laughs> yeah. I knew it was young and I'd forgotten how young it was because I know it we worked together on that book. written though. Yes. <laughs> That's true. But it's still a yeah. book. And it, and, and yeah. that book has been read by not only TCKs, but also mm-hmm. adults who want to get a picture of what it's like to be a TCK. Yeah. You know. Um, so now, and now you've written this, this new book, Stop Saying I'm Fine. Can mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit about the message of this book and kind of where your heart's at with that? Yeah. Yeah. I think stop saying I'm fine really came from that. You know, it's, it's looking back on a lot of my story as a whole, but started kind of in that place in Germany. There, there was this, you know, I think it was like the same day that I emailed my parents about what was going on. You know, it was like, I hit, it was like, I hit a wall. Like I was fetal position, bathroom floor Hmm. for an hour, door locked. God feels so far away. Like that's where I was at. And in that moment on the bathroom floor, I said, I'm not fine for the really first time for the first time. And part of like, I think looking i part of my mk story is me interpreting this message that being fine is what it means to honor god mm. and being happy all the time is what it means to honor god and that it's not okay to be sad or be angry and you know i think a lot of that was interpretations as a 9 year old like you know, moving overseas and like when so many people come up to you and, you know, before we move and like so excited that you're moving overseas, it's like, I am excited that I'm moving, but there's also a lot of grief and loss I'm feeling too. And when that is always like the, you must be so excited. Then I'm like, oh, I I need to be excited. And then Mm -hmm. there's like this denial of like, but I'm also really sad. And it was a huge, like, you know, that moment on the bathroom floor was really pivotal because I was honest with myself and with God and others eventually through the email for the first time and began really processing that message that I had been living out that I'm not fine is, or I'm fine is like the message I have to live by and I'm not fine is not okay to say if you're a missionary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, man, that like, I can just see there's so much complex emotion that must have been going through your heart as a nine-year-old, right? I can totally see that like conflict of like, oh, I'm really sad, but everybody's so excited for me. So like, I don't even know how to feel, right? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. and like all the like different things that happen in your brain to try and like, like make that work in your life, you know? And um, it's just kind of so interesting to see how you're untangling all those threads now mm-hmm. as an adult, right? Um, I'm just curious. I don't know if this is like a weird question, but do you ever regret going to Japan with your family? 
obviously you couldn't like say no right at the time but do you ever like wish like oh you know like we really would have been better off without that yeah that's such a good question and that's one that I've really processed a lot because there were times in Japan where I was like I don't like to be completely honest I don't want to be here right now like Mm -hmm. I don't Mm want to be here like this is Mm -hmm. so hard I don't Mm -hmm. understand I can't speak Japanese I like I just want to be somewhere familiar Mm -hmm. and when it didn't get when that didn't get easier the longer that I was there I think that that question just kept coming up Mm. and I do wonder what life would have been like if we'd stayed in that little house in Florida mm-hmm. that I like grew up in and that I went to college like that would have been such a different life and I think there that's it's one of those things of like I can't change it and there mm. are some parts of it that I wish didn't happen mm. and at the same time I think just through a lot of processing and a lot of counseling <laughs> have come to this place where like seeing, yeah, there are some parts of it that I don't wish happened. And there are some mm-hmm, parts mm-hmm. that I see that God has so redeemed and that have shaped who I am. But I don't think I regret living mm. living overseas the more that I've given my per- self permission to hold both sides. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes, mm-hmm. it was really hard. And Yes, it was really good. Right, right. Yeah. Being fully honest with, like, yeah, it was there was suffering, like, yeah. absolutely, um, through your childhood, but also recognizing just how much the Lord has done, yes. you know, yeah. both through the suffering, in spite of the suffering, yeah. you know, outside yeah. of that as well, and giving you good gifts as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's yeah, it's clearly shaped you, you as a person. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it has. Um. And I know that I would imagine because you're you probably have since you went to um, to Germany and then came back and went to college, have probably <laughs> been in contact with a lot of people your age, not <laughs> necessarily TCKs, but people that were brought up here in the U.S. or anywhere um, <laughs> who have the same challenges you do, who face yeah. the same issues, and. Is that something you feel like God has equipped you to be able to mm-hmm. care for others or to be more empathetic toward others because of what you went through, both mm-hmm. growing up in a in an environment that is um, very stressful and can cause you to be disoriented, and then mm-hmm. even kind of coming to a life crisis where you're mm-hmm. honest with yourself at mm-hmm. 18, um, which for some of us, it takes a lot longer than that to, to reach that point. So you're blessed. But um, do you think that's kind of given you um, some empathy and compassion for others that are your age in particular? Oh, yeah, definitely. I love, I love MKs. And I think just, I have talked to a lot of other MKs and I've, different places that I've spoken where MKs are like, I'm it's the it's like a conference for MKs or I'm just spending time with MKs. There's always typically when I talk to missionary kids this this pressure that they felt growing up to be perfect and to not have issues and to always be fine. And I think a lot of that is, you know, there's so much co- complexity of being a missionary. It's like I think often families are put on this like spiritual like 
pedestal kind of thing. And a lot of times even coming back to the U.S. for home assignment, it was this pressure of like, oh, I need to be fine. Like I need to like maybe even be farther along in my spiritual journey than I am. And I think talking to a lot of MKs, man, I there's so many of us who, I mean, I've talked to so many who have just decided that faith isn't what they want to be in anymore. And, it, you know, it's really, I think so many of us, and I really had to process this, differentiating God from some of the, the systems that we grow up in. And when we can't differentiate God from maybe a system that doesn't fully reflect him, mm-hmm. then we just walk away from it all. Mm, sure. And yeah. I think part of, you know, really processing like who is God? Like, and what are some of the messages that I either interpreted or received as an MK that doesn't reflect who he actually is? You know, one of the, like, what even I think of, you know, being, having that message of like, I should be farther along than I am. Like, mm-hmm. I kind of began to live out, I think, this message that, you know, life with God is an invitation to be on his PR team and not be his child. <laughs> and when the PR team member becomes like is first before a child, that gets kind of messy. <laughs> and so I think for me and part of my MK journey is realizing, okay, I'm not supposed to be like God's like representative, like it, in the sense of like, yes, we're called to be a witness, but like as his child and not as a worker mm-hmm. for him, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like if you don't that. reach your quota, right? You're not gonna like right. get demoted yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My identity is like his his child first. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it sounds like a lot of these um, perceptions that you had of performance or um, living up to expectations, some of these were generated from the outside, but then a lot of them yeah. were internal that yeah. just developed over the years um, in your heart, maybe without external influence on them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it was a mixture of both. Like some were, you know, communicated to me, some I definitely interpreted. It was somewhere a combination of both or like, you know, even the example of moving overseas, it was like, everybody's so excited. And no one told me like necessarily like, don't be sad, but like just looking around me and seeing all the different people that were so excited, you know, my nine-year-old brain interprets, oh, I can't be sad. It feels wrong to not be excited. Yeah. That feels wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Do you think you're an overachiever? Um, yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I just wondered. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. In, in a way that's not great. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and that's something. I'm not, that's not necessarily a compliment. It's just an observation. <laughs> no, it's like in, on the negative side. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely an overachiever. And and that's something even now I'm processing with God. Like, okay, what mm. does it look like to not – to? I was talking with a friend even last week and I'm like, I want to enjoy my life. Like, God <laughs> designed me to – he created me to enjoy my life. Like, I want to, I want to enjoy it, like, in obedience to him. And so – yeah, I definitely think I'm an overachiever. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, 
Nice. Well, speaking of yeah. overachieving, like, uh, what do you have like next for you? Right? Not that mm-hmm. those are like overachievements, but I know that you're always like working on different projects yeah. and different things. What do you What do you kind of have coming up for for you? Yeah. So with um, with stop saying I'm fine that just came out last year. I've taken. I'm still promoting the book, but I've kind of taken a little bit of a break, and I am getting ready to launch a podcast this fall. So. It's called Faith and Feelings, and it's really kind of just going in real more deeply into the topics of spiritual and emotional health and how they inform each other. I'm finishing up my master's degree in clinical mental health counseling, and so I'm just in my own, you know, learning as a grad student, you know, about emotional health and what I'm learning about spiritual health, just having really honest conversations about what it looks like to be a a Christ follower that is healthy holistically. And so that is going to launch probably later this fall. And I am working, beginning to work on another book project, but oh. it's not, that's farther down the road. You can't <laughs> yeah. tell us anything about that? <laughs> Ooh, Relentless like, Pursuit exclusive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still very much so in the research phase. Um, yeah, but I did meet with an agent a couple months ago and things seem to be moving in a positive direction. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we will look forward to hearing more about that project. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, like there's all this stuff about how experts say that, you know, there's like a mental health crisis amongst young people and especially amongst like Gen Z, which obviously, you know, that's kind of your generation. And like, how do you feel about all that? And I mean, that must have partially informed your desire to go into counseling and to do this podcast and all that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I actually just moved off a college campus in May. I was doing a residency program, kind of like a residency program during um, the first two years of my master's program. So I was living and I was on a scholarship during undergrad that required me to live on campus. And so I actually lived on a college campus for six years <laughs> and a very large one with like 10,000 residential students. And part of the reason that I wanted to write Stop Saying I'm Fine was because of the amount of anxiety and emotional and mental health issues that I saw all around me. I think I read a a recent research article that said that 91% of Gen Z struggles with anxiety. It's like, yeah, literally basically everyone. Yeah. (laughs) And Uh I have such a a heart for for Gen Z and for, you know, college students and and people like 20s, like 30s who are experiencing emotional health issues specifically and in who are Christ followers who love Jesus and who struggle with anxiety and don't feel tension in that. And so, yeah, that's definitely a huge part of why I wrote Stop Saying I'm Fine. Yeah. I mean, so like, you know, a lot of our listeners obviously are interested in missions, interested in like, what Mm -hmm. is the Lord's next step for me? You know, and if they're Gen Z, then out of what you said, like not a ten of those people yeah. have some struggle yeah. with anxiety, right? So would you have any words for anybody who's, you know, Gen Z or even, you know, just younger, maybe struggling with anxiety, mm-hmm. but really does, you know, have a heart for the unreached, have a heart to maybe even serve the Lord overseas? What would what would your word for people like that be? Yeah. I think 
like I can speak from my mistakes, <laughs> like for sure. <laughs> That's usually I, the first think, place we can speak from, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One of the things that, you know, I look back on is I waited. And part of this is like, you know, it happened, but how it happened. But mm-hmm. I waited so long and there's so, so much shame, so much like to be honest about what I was walking through both with the anxiety and the eating disorder. And there was so much of like, you know, this is going to disqualify me. Like, I'm like, I I had so much shame of like, I, good Christians don't struggle this way. And that was kind of like the, the mindset. And I would just say like, if you're in Gen Z, if you're your twenties, interested in missions, feeling anxiety is like part of what it means to be human. And having going walking through things, walking through struggles is part of what it means to be human. Hiding it is the thing that is going to make it way harder down the road. And so I would just, you know, talk to people in your life that that can that like are trusted people who know you, who can walk with you. Like get the support, get the help that you need. Like, and that's something that I wish that, like. I wish, even though I it was eighteen when I went to treatment, I wish I'd started counseling a lot, a lot sooner than that. Mm, 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 yeah. So, what do you do now? Like, you know, obviously, just because you wrote a book saying about anxiety doesn't mean that like you hit publish yeah. and all of a sudden anxiety disappeared, right? It just right? Goes like, away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, if anything, there's like more reason for being anxious because you just told everybody about your anxiety yeah, now, right? right. Exactly. Um, no, that's totally <laughs> what happened. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, what are some yeah. things that you do for yourself? Like when you are feeling this, like, you know, you are feeling anxious, but you're mm-hmm. also feeling this urge to like, you know, keep it hidden, not show it yeah. when you're feeling shame, you know, what are, what are, what are things that you do or things that you turn to in order to yeah. keep you from, you know, closing in on yourself? Yeah. I think part of what my healing journey has looked like is setting up a structure of people who are checking in on me a lot. <laughs> so different mentors um, who are like in my life, who know me really well, who are asking me really hard questions, uh, who are, you know, care for me really deeply and want me to, like, to do, to be a healthy person in every area of my life. I'm in counseling right now. Like, I'm still in counseling. I am in coaching right now. I'm doing some story work right, right now. I'm in a lot of different things. Yeah, because you're right. Anxiety for me is something that, yeah, definitely didn't go away when, my book was published. It actually got worse a little bit with the promotion, like, you know, like, and that was something I had to keep processing. Like, okay. Cause I, and one of the things I learned about anxiety that I didn't know before is anxiety is a secondary emotion. And so there's, when we experience anxiety, there's typically an emotion underneath it that is threatening for us to feel. And so part of what helps me especially when I'm feeling a lot of anxiety is pausing. And like, what is, what is the emotion underneath what I'm feeling right now? Is it like a fear of failure? Is it like, that was like a huge thing around my book launch. Like, I feel like, what if this fails? What if my, all my worst fears comes true? You know, like, but processing that and and like connecting with other people in that has been something that I try to do really regularly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's, that was good for people, even if they're not struggling with anxiety, all the things you mentioned as far as 
being mentored and having a coach and having people that you're accountable to. Yeah. That's something that anyone can benefit from, even if they don't feel that they have Mm -hmm. an issue with anxiety. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Right. And from what you say, even if like I personally don't have anxiety, right? Like someone in my life probably does, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so yeah. just to like be able to kind of get like an inside look into that through mm-hmm. your story or through even stories of other people who like open right. up and share honestly mm-hmm. about those things. I think that that's so powerful and so important and a good yeah. practice to keep in life in general. But definitely yeah. when you're overseas as a missionary, as a TCK, yeah. and you just have like that many more you know, anxiety producing environmental right. factors in your <laughs> life, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I've, I have a question um, and you'll, you need to use your imagination for this a little bit, mm-hmm. but if you were as old as you are now with your experience and, and your, um, your life journey so far, and you had a chance to have a conversation with Taylor, um, <laughs> at nine years old before she got on the plane to go to Japan. What are some things you might say to her? Mm. Yeah. I think I would tell nine-year-old Taylor that it's okay to feel all the feelings Mm. on the feeling wheel. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be angry. It's okay. Um, to be confused and to not want to be in Japan at times and to want to go home to something like that's okay. Like that's, that's normal. Um, I think, you know, from really, really young, I was always just trying really hard. I'm a perfectionist. So like trying really, really hard to like making sure I'm, I'm doing all the things like I'm, I'm like, I want to, I, I like I think I, I was reading an MK book a couple of days ago and it, it was talking about how so often with this like this standard for perfection that so many MKs feel um, there's typically two responses you either try really 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 hard to be perfect or you just kind of walk away from it all mm-hmm. and knows that's what a lot of MKs do and I definitely mm-hmm. fell into like I'm gonna try my very hardest to be perfect in every way best mk ever the best mk ever and so right i like tried so Uh hard Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. obviously that doesn't like i'm a human being so like that doesn't work but i think i would tell tell little girl taylor it's okay try softer try Mm -hmm. softer Mm -hmm. Uh don't try harder it's okay to be to play to enjoy life yeah now i would imagine you did have opportunities as your parents were in ministry to participate at some level with them. Mm -hmm. Um, What are some ways that you were, even with some of the, you know, the barriers that you mentioned as far as language and culture, you were able to, to participate in, in their ministry there in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, My family did a lot of things together as a family. And one of the things that we did, I think I was, 14 or 15 when we planted a, a ABC. Yeah. When we planted um, a, a church in Japan and that was definitely a collective family effort. It was, and I loved, I loved being able to serve with my family. That was, I have really, really good memories from that time. And whether it was, you know, baking 
a ton of stuff or like after the service or, you know, you're doing like seven, like I was like the stat, I was tech. I like, I'm horrible at tech. Like mm-hmm. I was the tech person for a long time. Like, you know, just feeling all of these different roles that you're not really good at, but like you're, <laughs> you're doing things cause it's like, you're the only person. And I think it was really, really fun for me. It's something that I love about looking back on my MK experience is you really see God working in another culture that is amazing. Like you see God opening hearts to the gospel, like in front of you, like as an, like, and you experience, you know, so many different ways of like God moving and working and how he's like drawing people to himself in such amazing ways. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. That's cool. I think that sometimes people underestimate the participation that kids can have. And and obviously it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily look the same way, but I've just observed in different places that I visited how children provide a real relational connection between yeah. people because everybody likes kids for the most part, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, it's hard to <laughs> to not find something to identify with with because kids are pretty much the same across cultures. You know, they like the same things, they make the same noises and they, they do the same stuff. So, so they provide kind of a bridge of relationships, I think, for people that are working overseas. Um, so I think maybe we underestimate the, the power of a TCK in a place like that, you know, to build those relationships and to really have an impact. So that's cool to hear, hear about your involvement there. Yeah. I think even, you know, thinking back on how, one of the things that my family did all of the time is we had people over to our house, like constantly. All the time. And so we would all, (laughs) literally all the time. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of nights a week we would have different, you know, people over to our house for dinner. And so many times, and this wasn't even really something that I like knowingly did. I was just like being nine or whatever. And Mm -hmm. I would, you know, go up and, you know, hug my dad and we would, you know, talk about something or we would laugh about something. And we had so many people just start crying. Hmm. And, you know, my dad would say like, what's, what's, what's wrong? And they said, I've never seen a, a daughter interact with her dad with so much affection before hmm. and vice versa. And I think in so many moments like that, we were seeing how there were ways to actually like embody the gospel just in the way that we were interacting as a family that were so much more, even like so much more powerful than even words that we could say just by the way that we interacted with each other. And as a nine-year-old, I like in that moment, I was like, wow, like I never realized like my relationship with my dad in that way could have an impact like that. So it was really cool. That's cool. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you guys definitely impacted my life. I just remember Mm -hmm. the way that y'all would interact, the way that um, your parents like would just talk to you about the Lord, about the gospel, even when you guys were like getting in trouble, right? They were like yeah, scolding you, yeah. right? Just the way right. that they would really show how much they loved you. I mean, so I can just only imagine that for people who like did not have any experience with a Christian family, with, you know, just Jesus followers, like how much more impactful that would have been for mm-hmm. um, the local people. So yeah, that's really yeah. cool that even in like your small, innocent nine-year-old ways, you were like, were able to be an impact on those people, right. on the people around yeah. you. So mm-hmm. that's really cool. Um, if you had 
um, just a piece of advice or encouragement for parents who are planning to go overseas, hoping to go overseas, but maybe they're like worried about their kids, right? What would be some encouragement you'd have for them? Yeah, that's a really good question. When I look back on, you know, my family's story and even our story right now, you know, my parents weren't perfect and they never, you know, pretended to be, but they were really open about, you know, even even now, like their own walk with God, like what they're learning with God. Um, they just like so open about, you know, even mistakes that they made, things that they wish they would have done differently, things that like, and, and I think that openness and how they were living their life with God has really impacted me and how in my relationship with the Lord. So I think I would say, you know, you know, I think my parents would say, you can't be perfect and like to take, <laughs> take the pressure off of that. But um, yeah, I think at least in my experience, having my parents be so open about their own lives, about their own walks with the Lord, about their own struggles and mistakes. Uh, yeah, really communicated and really powerful to me, powerful ways to me eventually that it was okay to do the same. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Well, you've already been pretty transparent. Um, so I don't think anyone's going to get the picture that you are superhuman. But one of the <laughs> yeah. purposes of this podcast is to really help people see the human side of people that work cross culturally, whether it's TCKs or whether it's their parents, missionaries. Um, so we have some quick fire questions we're going to ask you here. Okay. And these don't need to think too deeply about them because they're not really that deep. Um, but we hope they'll give a glimpse into what your um, loves and hates and preferences yeah. are. Okay. Um, so cultures tend to be coffee or tea oriented. Are you a coffee person or a tea person? Coffee person, 100%. Okay. Okay. Now that's not really the way Japan is, right? I know. Yeah. But it's becoming <laughs> more true. so, right? I mean, there, there's more <laughs> Starbucks and things coming over yeah. there, aren't there? Yeah. There are Starbucks. Yeah. This is true. Yeah. This is true. Yeah. And Seattle's best for some reason. Really? Yeah. So that's many. Weird. Yeah. That's so yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> of funny. all the coffee shops. Yeah. Seattle's <laughs> are you an early bird or a night owl? Oh, definitely early bird. Like okay. I am asleep so early. Yeah. Oh, that's good. How about um, what if you do tend to stay up late? What's your go-to late night snack? Um, probably popcorn. Okay. Yeah. Well, healthy. Yeah. I yeah. just remember hearing <laughs> that your dad would like pull out jars of peanut butter and oh, at night yeah. when he was stressed. And oh yes, yeah. Just take oh, peanut butter, of peanut butter. always in the house. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. that's people might not know that, but that's what missionaries love is peanut butter. And so if yeah. you're going to visit missionaries, <laughs> so and when I would go overseas to visit missionaries, I would usually bring some peanut butter with me because that'll yeah. earn you when some in doubt. Yeah, when in <laughs> doubt. Peanut peanut <laughs> yeah. How about um, winter, spring, summer, or fall? Summer. I love when oh, it's wow. hot. Yeah. Really? Oh, wow. Yikes. Yeah. And you lived in Florida too, and you're saying that. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. You're traveling as many TCKs and missionaries do. Window or aisle? Uh, ooh, that's hard. I think probably window because then when I fall asleep, I can like lean against the window. Yep. I always try to get the window. Yeah. 
Yeah. How about a must-pack item? And you can't say Bible. Everybody, you know <laughs> that's going to be there, but something other than your Bible. Okay. Um, if I if I didn't want to forget anything, I just really, really don't want to forget my toothbrush. So I oh, think yeah. I would say that. Like that okay. is just like a non-negotiable. Yeah. Good. In Japan, what was your favorite local dish? I loved sushi. Yeah. So every Wednesday, we would, my mom and my twin and me would go to something called Kaiten Sushi. And so it's sushi that comes around to you on a conveyor belt. Oh, yeah. It's so cool. And so we would, yeah, we would like get all the plates and then, yeah, it was so fun. So that was my, I have really good memories at Kaiten yeah. I remember sushi. that. I remember yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. So you just pick something off the conveyor belt. They charge you for it at the end of the meal or how do you end up paying yeah. for it? Yeah. So you, they, pay, they charge you for how many plates that you have on your table at the okay. end. And so you just oh, wow. like plates and then they come and, and count how many plates you have and then oh, that's charge cool. you. Yeah. Yeah. So and a each lot of plate is essentially just... the same, huh? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Wait, yeah. what, what oh, was they it? have the, they have this, um, like basically most of the Kaiten, the conveyor belt sushi places, all the plates are a hundred N right? And yeah. so like all the plates are exactly the same. And so they have this like little card that they put next to the stack of plates. So you don't even have to count the plates. They just look at the card okay. and how high it is. And then they're like, okay, oh. you eat 18 plates or whatever. Yeah. 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 It's very that's efficient. That's, yeah. That's cool. <laughs> what is a talent you wish you had? Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this is one that I wish I had. This is like, I wish I could like paint or draw in any capacity more than what I can right now. Because mm -hmm. like my, my drawing right now is like stick figure, like yeah. status. And so, yeah, I wish I could, I was a little bit more artistic in that way. Okay, cool. What about a missed comfort from home when you were in Japan? Um, ooh, I think... I missed the library. Oh, I would, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I miss like going to the library and getting books and reading. Yeah. yeah. What is the strangest tradition that you witnessed over there? Like Japanese tradition? Yeah. <sighs> hmm. Oh, I don't know. Can you think you of know? any, Jess? Um, I mean, anything to do with the shrines. Oh, that's right? true. Where they yeah. like clap in front of the yeah the bell the to like yeah. yeah and you're not exactly yeah. sure what those things mean when they're doing yeah. those things huh? right yeah. right yeah and the thing is they're not really sure either they're not it doesn't necessarily <laughs> right all the different things don't necessarily have to have a meaning it's just like what right. you're supposed to do so right. it's kind of one of the interesting aspects of shinto yeah 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 that was always Interesting. Yeah. And especially there were a lot of shrines. There was typically at least one shrine in a neighborhood or like in a right. community. And so you're always hearing the bells and the people. Yep. Yeah. So that was interesting. Is there any quick uh, language mishap that you remember happening? Oh, man. There's so many. Uh, I think... Well, there was this one. I can. I this is a story with my dad, so okay. he probably wouldn't mind. But <laughs> so there was this one. <laughs> too late. <laughs> it's too late. Yeah. So it's his mishap, this, not yours. His, not mine. It's his okay. mishap. Right, this was a clarify. really funny one, though. So that's where my brain went. So we went to a restaurant one time, and we were going with some local pastors, and the chef 
wasn't a Christian and but his wife was. And so we were trying to really like, you know, we were going to meet the chef and we were gonna, like we were ordering all this food and like she was there and it was just really this cool moment. And so the chef comes out and everyone's like, this is the chef, this is the chef. So like we're always like we're telling all the pastors are going around like telling him like how delicious the food was. And then it gets to my dad and my dad's trying really, really hard to use Japanese. But this is like pretty soon after we'd moved to Japan. And so he goes, he means to say the food was delicious and beautiful, but instead of saying kilei, which is beautiful, he said kilai, which is mean, which means, and I hated it. <laughs> so he said, it's delicious and I hated it <laughs> to the chef. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there was this moment of like silent awkwardness, awkwardness. and then everybody was yeah. like, oh, this is like what you said. He was like, oh no, that's not what I meant. So yeah, yeah it was pretty funny. <laughs> that's funny. Nice. Yeah. yeah. What did you want to be when you were a kid? Well, what did you want to so, be when you grow up when you were a kid? Yeah. So I think from the time I was so little, I wanted it was it was like a toss-up between this. I'm gonna I sound like such a nerd. I wanted to be a librarian or a writer <laughs> mm-hmm. from the time I was like three. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you got nice, one of those. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and if you get enough, collect enough books, then you can just be your own amateur Put them all library. library. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, thanks so much for spending time with us, Taylor. It's been really mm-hmm. great. Thanks for your yeah, transparency you. and sharing your story. Yeah. Thank you. I think above all, I just really appreciate Taylor's vulnerability and openness just with the struggles that she had in Japan, just how her experience there as a TCK has obviously shaped her life and her journey, but also just made anxiety and even her eating disorder such um, a big struggle that she is continuing to deal with and that she was able to be open about that with us, that she was able to be open about that in her book. Um, and she, I could see that she was even struggling with that question of like, do you regret having gone to Japan that your parents went there? Um, and so I really just appreciated that she was so open with the fact that like, it's hard to say that she's glad that she went yet in the end, she really is, that she really does appreciate what the Lord has done in her life throughout those experiences. And so I think that was just really so touching and moving for me to hear from her. Yeah. And I think too, it's, it's a message to people who are considering missions and have children, no matter what age. Now she went when she was nine years old, but others are taking children that are much younger than that or much older, is that it's not going to be easy. There's no way around it that your children will face the challenges that you do and different challenges. Um, And for them, it wasn't something that they were specifically called to. It was a decision that you made on their behalf. And I think every parent has to wrestle with that. Um, And yet I think she did have some really good um, input and insight into how her parents cared for her through that. Mm -hmm. And a key thing was that transparency on their part as they were dealing with spiritual struggles as they were asking questions, that they brought her into that um, world with them. They didn't hide uh, that from her. And I think that provided a foundation where she was able to um, come to a place of, of healing and, and self-awareness later on in life when she went through her crisis. So there's no way out of it. If you are going to choose a life of serving God among the unreached, you will suffer and your children will struggle. 
And there's not, mm. and we're not going to gloss over that. But God is faithful, and He um, He's able to bring beauty from ashes, even in the midst of of great struggle and and suffering and challenges that we face. And of course, as we know, these are the same challenges that people face here in this country. So it's not like by going overseas you avoid them, nor right. are there necessarily acute things. Um, that are worse there. It's just different. And the world is a is a very difficult and toxic place, I think, especially for, no for young people. No matter where you are. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we so have in some, any case, some, you, yeah, requires, yeah, yeah, it really requires the grace of the Lord in all situations. Absolutely. Wherever you are, you need God. You're not going to go somewhere <laughs> that's, that's, um, that he's more prone to be than, than he hmm. is wherever you are. Um, we also have some some good resources in the show notes. Um, we have a lot of people working in Japan, and I would encourage you to check out our show notes for different photo essays and videos um, from people serving in that part of the world. Even even Taylor's family is featured in in one of our videos, so be sure to check that out. Also, articles on on Japan and articles on TCK life and challenges and joys and victories so be sure to check out our show notes and get those resources and don't forget taylor also has um two books out one is called hidden in my heart and the other is stop saying i'm fine both are available on amazon and kindle we'll have more information in the show notes uh taylor also mentioned she has a new podcast coming out this fall so please definitely uh look out for information for that Thanks for following us on this episode of the Relentless Pursuit podcast. Our goal is to make missions accessible to show that it's not just reserved for elite super Christians. If you want to be involved, just go to pioneers.org start and answer a few questions. We have a team who would love to help you discern your calling and what your next steps might be. At Pioneers, we love to partner with local churches and send teams to people groups with little or no access to the gospel. Keep up with what God is doing by following us on Instagram, Facebook, X, and YouTube, all at Pioneers USA, one word, or visit pioneers.org. Thanks for listening.